Dear Founder, as you know, there's no blueprint for entrepreneurship. You wear so many hats, you burn the midnight oil, you pour your heart and soul into everything that you do. But without a doubt, the journey is worth every single second that you put into it. I'm Lindsay Pinchuk, host of the Dear Founder podcast. I say this because I've lived it for over a decade. I started my first company with $500 in my pocket and a baby in my belly. I grew it and I sold it all. This podcast is my weekly letter to you. We'll talk all things starting, growing, nurturing, and in some cases, even selling a business. Together with some of my closest contacts, I'm here to help you find your own success, whatever that means to you. The ride as a founder is the ride of your life. So come on in and join me for another episode that will get you one step closer to reaching your own founder goals. Welcome back to another episode of Dear Founder. I really enjoyed today's conversation with Pertit Spencer so much. She is a founder in every sense of the word, and I identify wholeheartedly with her work ethic that she used to bring her business to life and continues to use every single day to move it forward. She's also a mom of two girls who are very close in age to my own daughters, and you can just feel how important her family and her kids are to her when she talks throughout this episode. I am really so excited for you to hear. Pertit is thrilled to be able to bring all of her passions into her role as co-founder of AO Foods, seeking to build a more inclusive food system that reflected her experience growing up in a Liberian family. Pertit launched AO with her husband, Fred, in the summer of 2020 with the vision of creating a platform brand that celebrated the ingredients, flavors, and culture of the Western Africa diaspora. Prior to launching AO, Pertit held brand sales and consulting leadership roles at Lego, General Mills, and Spins. When she's not actively working on AO, you can usually find Pertit spending time in the kitchen with her two girls or advancing or advancing of issues of food equity through her involvement in the Food Recovery Network, a nonprofit focused on eliminating food insecurity through waste through food waste recovery. Pertit earned an MBA from the University of Minnesota's Carlson School of Management and a Bachelor of Science in Marketing from DePaul University. Pertit and the AO team believe that our grocery aisles should be a reflection of our communities. They founded AO as a part of their quest to build a more representative food system. A purchase of AO not only allows you to enjoy the rich flavors and ingredients of West Africa, but it also allows you to drive meaningful change through celebrating a more diverse agricultural supply chain because they believe that real food can do real good. A real example is their their moon bodge project their moon boy project <clears throat> where they are actively cultivating 15 acres of farmland in Liberia in partnership with Girl Power Africa. The output of the crops will be used as seed capital for women impacted by the Ebola epidemic and Liberian civil war to launch businesses of their own. I cannot wait for you to meet today's guest, so please come on in and meet Pertit Spencer. All right. Today on Dear Founder, we have a very special guest. We have Pertit Spencer, founder of IO Foods, and I've been dying to get her on this podcast because she has an amazing story, so I'm so glad that she's here and this finally worked out. Um, so Pertit, welcome to Dear Founder. Oh, thank you so much for having me, Lindsay. I appreciate it, and I'm so excited to be here with you. Of course. So you have an amazing story and that's where I want to start. I want to take it back to when and how you got started with your amazing company. So let's just jump right in and give us the, give us the scoop. 
Absolutely. So it, I feel like it's been fast and furious. So it, it's only been um, just under two years that we launched IO. So mid pandemic, uh, July of 2020. Um, and, and I often say like the brand was inspired by really like an interesting intersection of things. Uh, the first really starting with family. Um, so I grew up in this like incredible Liberian family. Um, for us, like food was often the focal point of like all of our happiest memories together. Um, and frankly, even when we weren't together, kind of food would follow us where we were. So um, food was always like incredibly central to, to my family, um, but happened to, to marry a, a, a big dreamer and entrepreneur who um, kind of started his first company when he was 24. And so I think he always saw something and me and us that really pushed, um, I, I think, pushed us to figure out how we uh, take something that was very personal to us and kind of share it with more people beyond just like frequently having family and friends at our place for dinners. Um, my, my career is in the food industry, so I'm kind of a career foodie. I say even when I wasn't working um, in food, I was still working in food. So out of college, uh, my first job was at Lego, um, where I led merchandising teams and all of the merchandising principles that we used, um, at Lego actually came from a bunch of guys who were, um, at general foods. So we called them the pioneers. Um, and so the more I work there, I'm like, well, why don't I just like go learn about the food industry? So, um, went to General Mills out of business school, was there for about 10 years, working on a host of really great brands. Um, you know, my very first brand there was Cascadian Farm. My last brand was Betty Crocker. So I got a really kind of wide breadth of experience. But I think there it also really sparked my interest in making kind of a more meaningful impact on the health and wellness space. So out of Mills, I spent about five years at Spins, um, really uh, working closely with founders. Um, and I think that's where I started to get this bug that um, my husband had had for a, for a long time. So, um, you know, more and more we were seeing these like incredible brands coming into the market, really inspired by these like heritage stories uh, and really sharing the gifts that they got from their families with more people. Uh, and through that, we started to see more and more that kind of West African flavors were not represented at all. Um, and, you know, as we thought about kind of what our best gift to the world could be, it was really just like a part of our family. And we wanted to create um, create a place where our girls could walk up and dial down the aisles of grocery stores and see uh, the food that we ate at home uh, represented. So, so we decided to take the leap of our own. I launched a company together in um, July of 2020. We launched about 50 whole food stores with three uh, frozen items, uh, including kind of one of our family staples, which is called Pisavoli. Uh, and we've since um, expanded the line uh, pretty dramatically. So now we're, our frozen is triple in size. And we launched three new frozen items uh, this week. So we're at nine frozen items. Um, and then the vision has always been to build a platform brand that celebrates West African flavors and ingredients across the store. So we started Action Against That late last year with the launch of our pepper sauces uh, and those 
kind of scale this year, which is really, really exciting. So it's, it's just been like such an incredible journey, one that's um, highly personal to us, um, but one we're so proud of, um, not only because of what it represents to our families, but because um, the world is kind of embracing it in such an exciting way, which has been really cool. If you like what you're hearing on the Dear Founder podcast, please make sure you take out your phone, scroll down. Yes, please do it now and leave a five-star rating or write a review so that others can benefit from all of the amazing conversations that we're having right here. Every time you leave a rating or write a review, it helps someone else discover Dear Founder and all of the incredible women that we feature here each and every week. Thank you so much for listening. Well, congratulations, first and foremost, because like I said earlier, your story is amazing and you have so much to be proud of and in such a short time, which is incredible. But what I want to talk about is, you know, when you said you launched mid-pandemic, obviously 2019 and 50 (coughs) Whole Foods stores. So let's talk about the time leading up to the launch. So like, when was this like, when did this idea become a reality? and? How did you get to the point of launch? Yeah, so I think it was probably late or early 2018 um, that Fred just approached me over dinner one night and he's like, look, I know we've talked about the idea of like bringing these flavors to more people and kind of transitioning our home recipes into something that could be enjoyed more broadly, but I I really want to do it. (laughs) And like... I would love for you to be a part of it, but like, if you won't be a part of it and he's like, it will be much better if you're a part of it, but if you won't be a part of it, like I, I want to try to figure it out anyways. Um, and you know, his, he's spent uh, many years in kind of real estate development. And so, um, we were, I said, okay, let's do it. So we would take, um, kind of his, his like earnings from big real estate projects. We would kind of pour those back into the business Um, you know, at the time we were living here in Chicago, so we would either fly up to Minneapolis and work with an R&D partner or have my mom go into the kitchen and kind of shadow the R&D partner. The reason for that being we found a like wonderful partner, but as we sent the recipes to them, they would sometimes just like not come, come back quite right. And I think through that process, we realized like how much love and care um, our, our material parts of, of kind of West African food. And so we'd send our families in the kitchen, uh, kind of figure out these recipes. We were like flying samples back and forth. And this went on for probably a year. And at that point it was like truly a passion project. So we'd work on it kind of nights and weekends. Uh, we knew we wanted to do something with it, but but we didn't really have visibility to what what that was. Um, But it started to take more and more and more resources. And I think we had gotten a point um, that was September of 2019. So this had been going on for a little over a year um, where we had like our last chunk of savings and we're like, okay, this will either go to tuition or we're going to double down and like make this happen on the business. and so we said, okay, let's do it. So uh, we knew that like the design elements in addition to great food were going to be important because if you think about um, kind of West African flavors as a platform, it's relatively young. And so we knew that 
that we had to get people invested in the total kind of idea of what to expect. Um, and so I reached out to um, an incredible agency that I had used to work with at General Mills. And I'm like, hey, could you just like help us work through this, help us um, visualize it? And they've been tremendous partners in that way. And so we like used the last bit of savings, went into the lab, literally uh, kind of handmade, complete retail samples. Um, so we had about 150 of them, 50 of each item. And then just started dry icing them overnight to like all of the retail connections that we knew. And it's funny thinking about it now, just because we didn't have expertise in that part of the business. So like sometimes we didn't get enough dry ice or sometimes it wasn't packed properly. Like it, it was, it was a, a bit of a disaster. Um, but I feel like the right samples along the way got to the right people. Um, and so um in January of 2020, uh, we heard back from Whole Foods um, and they said, hey, we actually want to give this a try in a region. Let's try to launch in 50 stores. And that's huge. Like for everyone yeah. who's listening, who's not in food, <laughs> like that is a huge, huge, huge feather in your cap in terms of your product. Because Absolutely. I mean, I know people who have spent years knocking on Whole Foods door. Yeah, I mean, it was massive. And, you know, for us to get into 50 stores to start was also huge. I mean, we always, I think because of my background, we were always hoping to build a business for scale. And so our minds, it was always like building a, a scaled size business. Um, but we got that approval in January. And then obviously, like the pandemic hit in March. And so that was a scary moment um, for a lot of reasons. You know, one, the world kind of imploded, right? And so no one knew kind of what was next. Um, two, the demands on us were just like so so high. Um, we were homeschooling our two girls <laughs> because they weren't, weren't mm -hmm. in school. Um, you know, we both had full-time jobs that we were trying to manage. Um, and then you know, we were going to the plant, but in very different conditions, right? So we were all messed up, all, all the PPE and, and all of that. And there were literally days where, um, you know, we would bring the girls' computers to, to uh, in the car and have them sit outside the, the plant with the cell phone and say, like, call if anything goes wrong or right inside, just because at, at that time, you know, we weren't yeah. able to like drop them with anyone or anything like that. So, and, and obviously you cross your fingers that it'll work, right? Our whole proposition was built on this idea that it was a new platform. So we intended to spend like the summer and traveling around the country, demoing the product and all these things. And then you're in a situation where you like can't even go into grocery stores and the last thing people are thinking about are like trying samples from a random person uh, when you're when you're in the stores. So um, it was all scary, but I think we believed in uh, kind of what we were building and that in some ways the the behavior shifting to more people staying at home could actually be um, a benefit to the business. So we kind of plowed forward. Um, and, you know, as challenging as like launching a business during the pandemic is, um, I'd say like we learned so much and in a lot of ways made some pivots that I think have been so additive, 
um, to, to, to our business. And so, you know, early on, I, you know, I think the biggest of those being, you know, early on, uh, we started reaching out to, to chefs who were kind of dis, not displaced, but were kind of figuring out kind of what their world looked like in this, in this like pandemic, post pandemic world. Um, and one of the chefs we reached out to was uh, Eric Ajapong, uh, who was on Top Chef um, and really uh, played at the forefront of kind of uh, celebrating flavors of West Africa. And I, I won't forget it. We had our first call with him um, Thanksgiving morning of 2020. Um, and I'm like, hey, like, I don't know if there's a there there, but like, we love what you're doing. We're very aligned with your mission. Mission. We're actually trying to do this in, in a different way. And we'd love to like partner with you on like making a couple dishes. And he gave us like an adamant yes. Um, and I think that kind of created a whole new pathway to the brand. So, you know, we just launched our second chef partnership with Zoe Ajonio this week. Um, and I think that those partnerships, what they've unlocked, particularly during the pandemic, is is a is a way to um, create to create some familiarity with the platform that is probably less familiar for a lot of folks. And so uh, we're incredibly grateful for that. And so you know, wait. So when you launched in Whole Foods, when you like, so when you rolled out at Whole Foods, you you lot you roll out in fifty stores. And then kind of what is the next step and where are you now in terms of your retail space? Yeah, so we launched in 50 stores. Uh, you know, we worked as creatively as we could to like replicate the experience of getting people to try the food even when when they couldn't. And so, you know, we leaned into some influencer partners. Uh, we did kind of reverse demos where we had people go in a store and purchase the product and then report on it on the back end. Um which is obviously more expensive, but you know, for us, experiencing the brand is such a big part of it. Well, because your brand isn't just like a frozen mac and cheese that everyone knows. It is. Right. It is a product that not everyone knows, and it's about trying and experiencing and and becoming part of the the culture that's behind the brand. Yeah, absolutely. And I think there are just like a lot of misconceptions around like what African what what West African food is, right? And so a lot of people say like, oh, I don't like spicy food. It's like, well, we certainly do have some dishes that are spicy, but probably half of our portfolio is spicy, half isn't, you know, we have some items that are vegan, right? Which people I don't think would uh, stereotypically associate with kind of the flavors of West Africa. And so for us, it's really important that people know that like, we're not talking about a monolith. It's like 17 different countries all within their, with their unique traditions, et cetera. Um, so, you know, we were experiencing the food was important to us as we, as we scaled, but yeah, now we're in uh, over close to 4,500 doors across the country, a really, really broad range of retailers, which we're incredibly proud of. So you know, we started at Whole Foods. Now we're, you know, in retailers like Kroger, Target. We just launched at Sprouts nationally this week. Um, and and to me, that speaks to kind of one pent up consumer demand for kind of just a more diverse set of um, offerings. But I think it also uh, beautifully speaks to kind of the changing tides of, of retail. Are really um, kind of shifting to a more diverse set of options that meet the 
like, frankly, just meet the demographics of our, our country, right? So for me, like, what we're doing um, is not revolutionary. Like, it should have been in place a long time ago. Like, people should be able to walk down the aisles of any grocery store and see things that remind them of the food they eat at home. Um, so after you, after you kind of went out and you got it, you sent your samples on dry ice to, to the right <laughs> and wrong people. How were you able to then fund the launch and fund the production of the food? Because, you know, that's something too, that a lot of, a lot of people like get stuck in that, right? It's like, well, you need money to have a business and you guys really invested a lot of your own savings into this business and bootstrapped it in the beginning. But then there was a moment when you had to like seek outside help. Yeah. So we bootstrapped, uh, all the way through, you know, kind of that first year. And then because we scaled so quickly, we just like could not do it, uh, anymore. Like we had depleted, kind of what what we were able to personally fund. And so at that point we started to kind of reach out to the to the market for outside capital, uh, which was also an interesting proposition, right? Because you 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 would talk to some people and they're like, well, you know, if this is such a big big idea, why haven't one of the big guys done it? Or, you know, why doesn't something like this exist? But uh we were <coughs> excuse me. We were incredibly fortunate uh, to find two really, really kind of thoughtful and forward-looking um, investor partners, uh, both Chicago-based. Um, so one, um, Cast Us, which is a part of Cleveland Avenue, led by Don Thompson, who's the former CEO of McDonald's. Um, and then the second was Supply Change Capital. Um, so we were actually their first investment, which we're really proud of. Um, I just want to say for those of you listening, <laughs> Shane Harris was on Dear Founder earlier, um, and she talks about making this investment into IO Foods. So you can listen to her to the story on her end as well. Yeah, and I just we feel really grateful for both of those connections because we got in a room with with both teams, and they just immediately understood the vision. Uh, what we were trying to accomplish. And uh, we're deeply invested in like helping us um, see it reach the potential that we knew it could. And so, um, you know, without that support, like, you know, we wouldn't have been where we are today by any means. So, and then you also talked about going from, you know, 50 stores to 4,500 stores and many retailers and, and, a very short period of time. And obviously not only were you bootstrapping in the beginning, it was just you and Fred. So like, what does your team look like now? And how do you, how do you get people in so fast to meet the demand that you're trying to keep up with? Yeah. So we're now at a team of five, which is still pretty lean. Um, but I think as a startup, you have to, one, you have to wear a lot of hats. And then two, uh, you have to be really thoughtful about kind of the, the cadence in which you're bringing in new folks one, it just takes a lot of time to like appropriately integrate someone into the organization, particularly for us as a husband and wife team, because we had our own kind of unique dynamic going um, because of because we were married. So like we wake up at, you know, when we wake up at five or six in the morning, the conversation immediately shifts to like, where is that truck of beans and, and all that <laughs> stuff. Um, but yeah, so we're at a team of five. Uh, we have a head of culinary. Uh, we have a head of independent sales. 
And then uh, we have a kind of operations and logistics partner who uh, provides kind of the key support uh, to Fred, uh, managing all the complexities of managing a, a frozen business. And then for us, you know, we leaned uh, we leaned heavily into kind of outside partners and really treat our partners as an extension of our team. And that's a strategy uh, that has worked incredibly well for us is leaning into experts who can hit the ground um, and create immediate value. And I think it's also allowed us to appropriately scope roles as we hire. I think sometimes you, especially with a startup, you think you know what you need and then you actually hire for what you think you need and it, it isn't quite that. And so I think it's allowed us to be really thoughtful about when we do make a hiring decision, making sure it's the right hire and the right kind of span of span of responsibility. Today's episode is brought to you by Hivecast, an amazing agency providing high-quality podcast production made simple and affordable. I hit the jackpot when I came across Hivecast as I pieced together services from contractors all over the web initially to help me with my podcast. Hivecast was everything that I needed all in one place. For just $500 per month, they not only produce and edit four episodes, but they also create the marketing assets. Emma, my account manager, is amazing, making sure that I'm on task and that we can schedule episodes regularly and by my deadlines. Honestly, the time saved working with Hivecast is worth at least triple what I'm paying. Their sister company, Fireside, offers other marketing services for small businesses, including social media management, Facebook and Instagram ads, search engine marketing, and so much more. Again, all at a rate palatable by a small business owner. The best part, there's no contract. You can purchase their services as needed on a monthly basis. Use the code FOUNDHER and save 50% off your first month of services. Give them a try. The decision to outsource this part of my business has surely saved me a ton in the long run, and it was the best decision I've made for my business. When you say you lean into partners, can you give an example of, of that? Because I think this is such an important notion for people starting a business or even people who are in it who are like, I need help. And they a lot of a lot of entrepreneurs think that they need to hire, you know, W-2s and that they need six figures to hire people at certain levels. And that really isn't always the case. And so I'd love for you to expand on this notion just a little bit in terms of what kind of partners outside you've leaned into for help. Yeah, absolutely. So you know our first and our first kind of outside partner was our sales team. And so you know, I I play the primary sales role in the organization, but we we could not have gone from fifty stores to forty five hundred stores with just me kind of knocking on doors. Um, and so they've been kind of a critical asset in um, kind of helping us scale as quickly as we we have in a just fabulous extension of our team. Um, and and that was probably our first outside investment. Uh, one that was tough to make, especially in the early days where the revenue hasn't caught up with with investment in those teams. But I think one that's been really critical to our success. Uh, we also partner with kind of outside social media and marketing support, PR support, um, <coughs> really because we get you know the expertise of folks who have been in the industry for. Um, a long time, but can kind of quickly get up to speed on our brand. Um, and, you know, have me having come from like a strong marketing background, like we want to make sure that like whoever we bring into that role at some point 
is like really energized by by the work, you know, and ha- and has like sufficient amount to 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 do and contribute. So um, that's another place that we've leaned in. And then, you know, logistics is a is probably the third big area. You know, frozen is um incredibly logistics heavy space. Everything has to kind of leave the plant and temperature controlled trucks arrive and temperature controlled uh, trucks. And so there is like uh, a degree, high degree of expertise of making sure like the product gets to the right place at the right time at the right temperature. Um, and so that's another kind of big area that we've leaned into for outside support too. Have you and Fred both left your full-time jobs? Yeah, we have, but I mean, it took a while for me, like the first, uh, nine months I was kind of doing double duty, uh, which was really tough. Um, but you know, we have two young girls, you know, we, we were very successful in our corporate lives. And so we wanted to make sure that the business was like on the right trajectory uh, before taking that leap. Um, you know, like early on uh, in Fred's early entrepreneur days, like I would always joke that that, that I was benefits, like that was my job. <laughs> um, and, the, and, you know, it's scary to leave the security of a full-time job. But, you know, what, what I found is um, it reached a point where, um, I felt like I was shortchanging the potential of the business, and frankly, started to get a little resentful to my full t- uh, to my full time job on like the demands it was creating and the time it was taking away from um, kind of successfully growing IO. And you know, Fred says this all the time, and I think he's so right when people ask like, "What are some of the key lessons you've learned?" Um, he always says one of his big ones is like, "You have to be all in." And I I think it's so true, like starting a business is hard, right? Um, You know, like people talk about it as, you know, 99% perspiration and 1% inspiration. And I think that's so true. I think particularly today, like entrepreneurship can be very uh, glamorized, (laughs) Like you get to be on cool podcasts like this and, but like, no one sees me doing my like 6am FedEx. I was going to say the hard fucking work <laughs> that goes behind it. Sorry. Exactly. I mean, it's like, and it's no. this comes up all the time. Like with, yeah. that's why we talk, that's why we have this podcast, like yeah. really hard. <laughs> um, so, you know, I felt like I belabored that decision as long as I could. But it got to a point where I felt like IO could not reach the its full potential without me being all in on, on its success. And so um, I've, you know, I've been out of my corporate job just over a year now, and it was absolutely the right decision and right time to do that. You talk about your girls and I want to talk about them for a second because your girls are a big part of your why. And they're a really big part of your story, obviously. And they're quite frankly, a big part of you. They're your legacy. What do your girls think of this? And and like, how are they? Are they involved? Are they like what? Like how? You know, I always like to get that perspective because you have kids who are old enough to be aware of what's going on. Yeah, they're incredibly aware. I think they're incredibly proud of what what we do. Um, they're so resilient, which I've appreciated. So I think you know, launching a business during a pandemic everyone at home, their world was kind of completely disrupted. Um, 
they've been so resilient and, and I think they're a huge part of our why. I'll never forget. It was uh, April of 2020. We had been doing this thing I was talking about earlier about like them sitting in the car of the plant and you just feel like a terrible parent, but it's like, that's, that's what we had to do to make things work for our family at the time. Um, and I just, I think it was at a moment where they could just like feel the stress in us as much as we try not to bring that home. Um, and they uh, set up, they, they told us to go in a different room. They're eight and 11, um, like decent cooks. Cause they cook um, a lot with, with both Fred and I, um, but they told us to go in another room and just like put our feet up and relax. And then they like, <laughs> made us dinner, like complete oh meals and all this stuff. And they did like table settings, place settings, everything. Um, and it was just a moment where you realize like they are very invested in making sure we're our whole selves and can bring that to work every day. Um, I, and I that love- you're doing something right. Oh, we try, right. You are. <laughs> I'll also say, I you know, know it's hard. <laughs> I'll also say the first time we went into, um, a retail store because remember we launched in Texas (laughs) and so we actually never saw our food on the shelf the first six months because we couldn't travel um so when we launched in Mariano's here locally in Chicago I remember taking the girls to the store so they could see it and they had so much pride and um my eight-year-old who often says she's the CEO of the company um, was like, Hey, am I part of this? And it's like, of course you are part of this. Like you all made as many sacrifices as we we've had, we've had to make to get here. You're our, often our, our number one and or number two and three taste testers, you know, like you do all of those things. And so, um, we can tell that, you know, this journey has been in- incredibly inspirational for them. You know, my 11 year old has aspirations of um, she said she wants to be a pastry chef in Paris where she brings her Liberian heritage to the Parisian pastry market. And so um, it's 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 incredibly um, heartwarming to see not only are they um, seeing the impact of our hard work, but also inspired to bring their whole selves to whatever they do next. Um, you are doing an amazing job. I mean, you are, it is hard. I know because you're stretched so thin and you're wearing so many hats and, you know, you often feel like you're not doing the right thing, you know, by putting them in front of an iPad, you know, outside of the plant. But guess what? Everyone listening to this story who is a parent and an entrepreneur has also had those moments. And it is those moments, like the one you just described when they make you dinner, where you you have an aha. And, you know, I, I walked into my oldest daughter playing bump club one time and she was like, and here's my, here's this, the, the giveaway. And it was her toy stroller. And like, you know, and I, and in that moment, all of the guilt went away because Absolutely. I realized that I was, that I was showing her what she could do Absolutely. in her life. And you are doing the same thing. And it's awesome. Well, thank you. You know, I'll say our full circle moment was um, just a couple of months ago, um, my 11 year old came home from school and said, mommy, like, guess what my friend brought for lunch in her thermos? (laughs) And she had packed up IO for lunch. And for me, it was, 
you know, I didn't get to bring my food to school out as a as a kid because people would say like, "What does that smell?" or "What is that <laughs> you're eating?" Um, so it, it was this tremendous uh, source of pride to see that, uh, like, we've gone full circle, and in the food that was so special to us has now become a badge. Um, it was it was incredibly amazing to see. So I want to ask you my last question, and that is for anyone who's starting a business or who wants to start a business, or even someone who might even be like a year or two into a business, what are three actionable steps that you would tell them that they that they should take or things that they should be doing to put them on the path to success? Uh, the first one would definitely be like, move forward, like keep going. Um, I think a lot of times you can listen to the nose in your head or the nose coming from other places. And I think, you know, even on my hardest days, I think you just have to focus on the positive and like put one foot in front of another. Like I started, um, I actually started the practice this year of doing a gratitude journal and it's been incredibly helpful for me when there's a gazillion things that are coming at you, especially in this like crazy world that we're in today to, to kind of ground myself in gratitude and be thankful for the things moving that, that are working well and let that be the fuel that drives you forward to to kind of put one foot um, in front of another. So that would be the first thing. Um, I think the second thing is really centered around kind of, um, kind of creating the community around you that, that will, um, be accelerators to your vision. And sometimes that's just like, you know, either incredibly supportive partner, which I, I clearly have in my co-founder. Um, but, 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 you know, like I went on a girl's trip this last weekend, just cause you, you need those people who kind of fuel, uh, your soul. But I think above and beyond kind of that view of community, I think it is who are the right partners who are going to be an accelerants of your brand. I think sometimes when you start something, you assume like you have to figure it out all by yourself. And the reality is like your idea has the potential to be much, much bigger if you kind of engage the right people. And so um, the power of community, be it our chef partners or retail partners or investor partners has without a doubt, been an incredible amplifier for our success to date. Um, and so I'd say, write down what what that kind of ideal state of community looks like for you, and then just like ask for it and go after it. Um, and then I think the third would just be like, give yourself some grace. Like it's, it's hard work. Um, and I think uh, particularly in the world of social media, there's lots of reasons you can kind of beat yourself up. Um, and But I think if you can stop and reflect and um, it links a little bit to my point one, but just like practice that idea of gratitude and not be so hard on yourself and give yourself that like gentle hug when you need it. I think that goes a really long way as well. Pertit Spencer, founder of IO Foods. Thank you so much for not only sharing your story, but really getting into your why today and and re- showing your true self because I felt your emotion when you were talking about your family and your kids. And it is so, so, so important to remember what is important in life. And, and I think that if anything, 
anyone listening today will walk away remembering that. So thank you so much for being here and for all your knowledge and wisdom and congratulations. I cannot wait to see where this goes. Oh, thank you so much, Lindsay. I appreciate it. So great to connect with you. I told you that Partit is absolutely amazing and I hope that you enjoyed listening to her share her story as much as I enjoyed interviewing her and talking to her to get her story. Please take out your pen and paper. You know what time it is. Partit had so many amazing takeaways that we all can learn from and you are going to want to write them down. So here we go. Number one, as a startup, you have to wear a lot of hats and be thoughtful to the cadence that you bring people into the organization. Number two, lean into outside partners, lean into experts who can create immediate value to your organization. Number three, as a startup, you think that you know what you need, but you hire and it's not always quite that. Number four, it's scary to leave the security of a full-time job, but it reaches a point when you feel you're shortchanging the potential of the business. Number five, you have to be all in. Starting a business is hard. It's 99% perspiration and 1% inspiration. Entrepreneurship can be glamorized, but no one sees the hard work or the behind the scenes. Number six, no matter what, when you're starting a business, keep going forward, put one foot in front of the other. Number seven, create the community around you that will be accelerators to your vision. You need the people who will fuel your soul, who will be the right partners and accelerants of your brand. Number eight, the power of community and partnerships has without a doubt been the biggest amplifier for success to date for AO. Write down that state of community and what it looks like to you and then ask for it and go after it. And number nine, give yourself some grace. It's hard work to start a company. If you start and if you stop and reflect, give yourself that gentle hug when you need it. Thank you so much to Pratit for being on our show today. And I cannot thank you for being here and for joining us for today's episode of Dear Found Her. If you like what you're hearing, please make sure that you take out your phone and click that five-star rating or leave a review so that others can find us. I would so appreciate it. We have some amazing guests coming up, amazing guests. So please make sure you also show, you also follow the show on Apple Podcasts or follow us on Spotify or wherever it is that you listen so that you never miss an episode. If you know someone who wants to start their own business like Pertit or who has started a business or who has an amazing idea for a business, please make sure that you post this episode on your Instagram or text it to them. Tag me. I'll reshare some of those to say thank you. Stay tuned for another episode of Dear Found Her coming your way every Tuesday and Thursday.